Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, surviving mosquito attacks in Italy, being put in your place thanks to the clever mind of a first grader, more child sacrifice from the good book, a special dream for Anthony Scalia, bizarre stories from ancient Rome, family versus society, amazing churches, crazed rats, and get ready to get your learn on because the historical podcast draws near. And now... Asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dows Podcast begins now. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 70 of the Drunken Dallas Podcast. As always, my pal Daniele Bolelli right across the table from me. Back from summer. Back from, like, the shittiest vacation ever in Italy. Um, back to school. Yeah, back to the grind. But you know what? I got to go up to Big Bear for a few days. Do you like Beautiful. it? Beautiful. I yeah. love it. It was great. That's they still got a little water in their lake. Very little. Uh, but still, it reconciled me with the universe. Um was a good thing. Quick thank you to our sponsors, Datsusara, with the everything hemp-related you can possibly desire. Datsusara has it. Bags, hoodies, geese for martial arts. Check out the Datsusara website. Check out through the episode notes where if you order through our link, you get a discount. That would be sweet. So if you are in the market for hemp, that's the way to go. And that backpack, just by wearing it, you automatically look more badass. Absolutely. I was sending that's my the... son up to, to hang out with my daughter, and he had his Dr. Sarah backpack loaded on. He's like, yeah, this gentleman's not to be quarreled with. I saw one at the airport. I was pumped up. I was like, that's Sarah. That's awesome. Somebody else had a that's Sarah bag. It was Excellent. great. Uh, Onnit.com, the, the one sponsor that's impossible to sum up in one word because they don't do just one thing. It's a whole... the Schizophrenic. <laughs> the key word they use is human optimization, which is the whole idea of basically everything, products that can make life cooler, they go for it, regardless of what particular department they fit under. Well, so I'm waiting for the Onnit Frisbee then. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. Like there's pounds, so there's yeah. always stuff that pops up. There's obviously a lot of stuff in the exercise department, from the greatest kettlebell on the planet to other products like that. Have you ever played with the maces? There's no. I need. In fact, that's the thing. Is like it I've tried cool. a lot of Onnit stuff. I just got actually for our former guest Mark Chang some of those. Uh, elastic bands that you use for training right. and Mark promptly put them to use to use for throws because he's a big uh, martial art for throws he used them for solo training to practice the throw with resistance it's, it's great I want to learn from him yeah I try new on it stuff all the time and I'm still not even halfway through the catalog so there's just so much stuff out there 
uh, foods, special healthy foods, um, supplements, Alpha Brain being the king of it all, of course, uh, workout gear. Again, please check in the episode notes through our link. You can order for a discount any Onnit product. That would be sweet. And last but not least, Shore Design, along with its sister website, Harem Pants. Beautiful t-shirts. Our own t-shirts come from Shore Design, but also he has his own designs that are beautiful. And uh, man, I cannot say enough good stuff about Shore Design. Having said that, why don't we speed things up and get these guys to the episode? And I have a few more things I want to mention at the end, but I won't kill you with too much. So please stay tuned at the end of the episode for a couple of announcements. Here we go. Brothers and sisters, I saw the president. He was a singing. He was a singing in church. I was so excited. The people were excited. He said, "Stay, have the faith now." And the people say, "Amen." They got the faith now. And so and so who got killed by the monster that came in the church, he got the faith now. And the people were like, "He got the faith now." And it was amazing grace. That looked like a lot of fun. You know, when I uh, when I was growing up, one of my influences in life about figuring out what exists out there, you know, movies about United States, because I don't know what really happens in the United States growing up in Italy when I'm 10 years old. But I watched the movie The Blues Brothers with John Belushi and the Microid, and the whole initial scene of John Belushi when he sees the light in church, and the whole church is like this entirely black church led by James Brown in this old singing service. It's like one of the funniest things in the universe. And in my mind, I'm like, Fuck if where where can I go to church? This is awesome. This is they eventually explain to me John that Paul II. Yeah, not We've every, noticed some things in America you may not be aware of. Yeah, not everybody runs church the way James Brown should, <laughs> but you know they should. James Brown. Oh, speaking of churches, by the way, in um, this last turn in Italy, I got to. Um, I, there's a church that I go to every single time I pass in front of it because it's amazingly beautiful. It's like has a wild psychedelic vibe to it. You know, you can get lost looking at all the art and uh, the colors. It's, it's amazing. It's not one of the huge ones. It's sizable, but nothing big. So there's hardly anybody ever there in there. If there are two people, is a lot. And, you know, every time I walk in, I sit down, I stay there quiet, I look around. And I just appreciate it, and I love it, which is funny because, you know, when I'm not exactly the Catholic Church's best friend, and at the same time, I can completely appreciate and love um, some of the stuff that exists within it. How old do you think that one is? I read about it. I think he was about 900 years old. How about that? Did it have the epic stained glass in it? Or oh, yeah, of it... course. Stained glass is everywhere. But yeah. some are done really cheesy and poorly done. This one was beautiful. And on top of it, the colors... Uh, the cupolas on top, like you really, really just go in there and it's all quiet and you don't hear much noise outside, maybe hot and messy and inside it's kind of cooler and mellow. 
and you just sit there and you look around and it's like the most meditative mellow thing ever I love it so I have nothing against churches when they are like that they're beautiful there's um and when somebody's not trying to kind of shove the theology down your throat and you just get to appreciate it's a great that to me is a sacred space it there's something something really beautiful about it and to stand for that long that's amazing that's yeah. a, everything you I don't think there's anything older than 300 years that wasn't fashioned by yeah and I mean I'm sure it has been redone 15 times so most of the pieces are not going to be from 900 years ago but still it's um, still badass that window might and those you know those yeah. structures and those you know yeah, some of the stuff for sure. And but. someone had to drag that heavy shit with an ox or something oh, and yeah. put it into place. And yep, yep, yep. Was it, it, it was all be Catholic through Italy, though. Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty much. There's nothing else. But you know, one of the things that I dig about the Catholics is they have. Um, they tend to be friendlier to the five senses in the sense that you get the incense, you get uh, the art that's amazing. Uh, visually it's like a really beautiful deal uh, so you know a lot of the protestant stuff they felt that this was distracting from uh, uh, the word of god and so he went back to sort of bare walls and read the bible and keep it very and uncomfortable pews to hurt the ass yeah exactly where is uh, well those are, are everywhere those are never fun anywhere universal but, but uh, it's more about theology and i'm like that's the one thing that i don't want you know, to me, like the beauty of a Catholic church is the as long as the theology is out of it, you know, and I can appreciate the art and the beauty. And the, that to me, actually, in an odd kind of way, does put you in a sort of sacred, high minded uh, spot mentally. It does bring you to a place where, depending on how you define God, I can see how you can find communion with God in that space. But once you start talking about it, and this, it's like, that's when I'm done. Well, yeah. it's funny that you mention that, because even the even the mission in Ventura, which mm -hmm. is completely like it was in the 1700s, mm -hmm. it's awesome to step inside. Or yeah. when people have a wedding in there, and, and all the candles are lit, and the people are dressed, and it's... it's yeah. They no, knew what they were doing the, to make something mm -hmm. impressive. It's funny, my Sapiens book says the first thing they do is they gather, and when they have enough food, they build a temple. And it's sort of a universal thing that we as humans do. The part about the mission, though, that freaked me out, that prevents me from enjoying well, it's all the, the bodies uh, of the Indians piled up. That, yeah, uh, the whole that's story the bad part is for sure. nasty, man. No, and there's a mean old friar or yeah, something that came were... along that was just a, he was Auschwitz-level asshole. Yeah. The and stuff that happened inside the missions in California is nasty. I'm just talking about the main worship space was impressive. No, but the no, visual, I, I mean, even the Catholic Church. I don't like the Catholic they, Church. I appreciate some of the stuff that well, happens. Same, same game. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, if you can separate the beauty of the place from the nasty history attached to it, then it's awesome. Well, you know, it was the, the sweat of the brow, some hardworking folks that put those things together, and that sort of... Maybe you can honor them and their hard work. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess on the other end, if it was, like, really nasty, you know, if the... How would I feel? Had the Nazis had amazing architecture rather than the disgusted stuff that sort of these building blocks? Would I be able to get over it? I don't know. And then also is a lot longer ago and not every church. Some churches is just poor, nice people who went there to pray. There's nothing bad about it, you know. There's nothing bad. So it's not like the Nazi's example, of course, is like every time anybody uses a Nazi example is over the top, exaggerated, and it automatically discounts whatever argument they are trying to make. But the point being, 
you know, is like that separation between the historical, the content from the uh, beauty yeah. is not always easy to negotiate. It can be, but in any case, let's get to a good Bible story. I'm ready. Let's go. To inspire to the sense of sacred and happy and this, I would say that it's time to turn to the story of... If I could pronounce these, I would gladly tell you. I'm just going to take a stab at it because there are like more consonants that, you know, the dude has like 1,500 letters in his name and two vowels. I don't know how it, that's even I'm, physically I'm possible. I'm to see what you're going to come up with that. That's something else. I'm just going to say Jephthah. It's like J-E-P-H-T-H-A-H. Close enough. Mr. J. Yeah, Mr. J. I like it. Mr. J. Dr. J, as in uh, Philadelphia 76ers. I can see the afro now. So Mr. Jewish Dr. J um, belongs to the Book of Judges, and uh, the story goes that he was a big shot within uh, society that was kind of post-Egyptian exile, but pre the period where they start having all the line of the kings of the Jewish kingdoms. He was kind of a big shot among his people. And the um, problem is that at this time, they are in the middle of big wars. Some of their enemies, the Philistine, the Ammonites, they start kicking Jewish ass left and right. Jephthah is having a tough childhood. He was uh, born illegitimately. He got kicked out by his uh, siblings. He's uh, sort of off on his own, minding his business. So Jewish Dr. J just has a tough upbringing, sort of grows up in the streets, got a gathering of uh, rough guys who um, hang out with him. And at one point, the elders in town, when he grows up, they ask him to be the leader in this campaign against the Ammonites, one of the rival nations around. And um, he wants his bargaining. He's trying to get the best deal he can. He's like, oh, you want me to lead the uh, Jewish army into this? Okay, what can you get me? You know, he's trying to reach for more. The elders agree, uh, but you need to win. Otherwise, you know, what are we talking about here? Well, who are you going to pay if he loses? Exactly. So (laughs) Jewish Dr. J decide that in order to buy his insurance policy for making sure he wins, he make a vow to God, swearing a note that says, whoever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I shall offer it up as a burnt offering. Meaning... Whatever living being comes out of my doorsteps when I'm coming back home, it's getting burned up. You know, it's going to get burned as a sacrifice to the Lord. What happens if your mom was visiting? That's the deal. It's like, it can be a chicken. Or, or it can be a kid. Daddy! Quite w- and I can see where you're going with that. But I that s- would be a concern with a stupid deal like that. I would say you may have read the Old Testament. Because oh, what happens is very, that... Very, confusing. Jewish Dr. J does indeed well. He wins the war, comes back, and his only child, his daughter, comes out and say, You did it! That's great! Poof! And, and the guy is surprised. He's all pissed off and start crying and rips off his clothes and like, oh, I can't believe this happened. Uh, I what can't... the fuck did he think was going to exactly. happen? Exactly. I can't take back my vow. And he's like, yeah, it's. I can see you thought it through real well. 
This is where the story gets weird, in case he's not weird already. The, uh, <laughs> now comes the weird part. His daughter asks for a grace period, you know, you're, okay, before this sacrifice business, and before you burn me to that, I wouldn't mind to have uh, a couple of months of my own, so that, and I'm quoting here from Judges, so that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity. <laughs> I don't know how to take that. I'm not entirely sure what that means, but how do you weep for your virginity? I think it... she had plans for the future, and she figured a few years down the road that it would be her time to, uh, you know, have that first yep. exciting event with some nice boy who... So let's get a couple of months in, and it's better than nothing. So that's what happens, and she comes back, and Jewish doctor and Jewish doctor J decide to... He did with her according to his vow that he had made, which was essentially burn her up. So that's a charming story. Wow. What do you think of that, Game of Thrones fans? Yeah, exactly. That's a lovely tale right there. So this is... Remember the story that we went in before, a classic human sacrifice story from the Old Testament where... Abraham uh, grab Isaac, takes him up, and is about ready to sacrifice him. And then the angel Not arrives. Not traffic, arrives exactly. in time. Yeah. Say, hey, just kidding, you don't need to kill him. Well, apparently the angel decides, ah, do I really have to sweat all the way down to earth again? So if the daughter of Jewish Dr. J was waiting for any kind of divine help in this instance to stop the whole proceeding... Well, she may still be waiting now because it does not happen and the match is thrown in there and she goes up in flames. Wow. I just What lesson am I supposed to learn from this Father Bellelli? And I don't want to be whipped. I don't get it. Uh, Jewish scholars have struggled with this quite a bit because it's a fucked up story and it's not particularly pleasant to so you have from the ones who argue that these uh, god allowed her to be killed in order to prevent anybody else from making stupid vows like that in the future because it was like you know that actually does make a little sense yeah and i mean sure at the same time go tell it to her it's no, like she's not gonna buy it no that doesn't work so well so you have the ones who say, no, he didn't really burn her. And they kind of go in this like line trying to basically argue that mm, he secluded her somewhere. And it gets pretty desperate right there. Yeah, when you start making like, stuff up, you know, see what you, in, in the part you're not allowed to read. See, yeah. That was the good old days when you'd be like, well, there's more, but I can't, yeah, you can't read. Exactly. So. It's interesting, by the way, that this old story seems to be taken straight up from a bunch of Greek mythology. There are multiple Greek stories that have something like this with the vow that turns out to be this tragic thing where it ends up being their kids that they have to sacrifice and all of that. So it seemed like a ongoing theme that uh, happened a bit in the ancient Mediterranean world and uh, the good folks from the Old Testament decided mm, that's a charming story, let's throw it in there. Well, the confusion can... Ooh, I did a Bellelli click! Did you hear that? Nice. I heard that one. I have a collection of about 40 of them now. Really? I don't think I do it that much no, anymore. No, you don't. Not as much. I think you're aware of it now. No. But there was a moment where I could grab 6, 8, 10 an episode. Oh, yeah. No, there were sometimes. It's pretty bad. Anyway. That was a nice Bible story, and I'm glad I didn't get whipped this time.
you know, I don't even have the inclination. I'm worried. I'm gonna go to therapy. I don't even have the inclination to whip you right now. I don't know what's going on with me. It's being in that big church. Blew your mind open. Yeah, I'm like Between now. Mosquitoes, uh, great tomatoes, and awesome church architecture. You may not be the person who left us. No, I'm now. I want to hug everybody and spread peace and love. And kick ass on the internet. Be sure you see that, everybody. Damn right. I did a submission grappling match while I was in Italy. That was a glorious moment in the history of martial arts. No, it was terrible. I was um, I was a hundred plus degrees. I just ate a giant pizza that was trying to come back the way it came in and uh, had to grapple. And so luckily I managed to get it done and over as quick as humanly possible. But You whipped him good. It looks good. And you remind me of my uh, my wife's grandmother who would bake a cake. It would be a chocolate cake. She'd bring the cake out. She'd be like, oh, that old dry thing. I don't want it. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's really dry. I don't know how we can possibly stand. <laughs> Poor us. I guess I had all these ideas of what I wanted to do, and I didn't really do any of that. But so I was like, it's okay. You know, it's like, and also it's uh, it's natural when you see yourself. Is oh, look at that mistake. Oh, I fucked up there. Oh, I didn't pay attention. He would have caught me there. So there are several things that I'm like, yeah. But at the same time, again, got the cool, cool throw, got the submission. Happy enough. It's a W. Yeah. Well, it's ranting time. Let's rant away. You want to rant about history? Oh, yeah. So, here are the news. You guys have been patient with me. Some of you guys. Some of you guys have no idea what I'm talking about. Some of you guys have not been patient. Some of you guys have been patient. Specifically, I announced a million years ago <clears throat> that I was getting ready to do this historical podcast along the lines of Dan Carlin's hardcore history, except with an accent. But, um, and then he was like, okay, where's that podcast that you told us? There, somebody, uh, the other day on Facebook, I saw somebody had made a meme posting it in one of the Rogan site with like, there's a scene of like Gollum from Lord of the Rings when he's all pissed off and raging and as he's teeth out and he's all, ah, and he goes like, where is Bolelli historical podcast? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I feel you. I you know, you've made it when you're being memed. Yeah. And uh, he yelled at by Gollum, rightfully so. I must say, because it has been forever. You know, I started playing with this a uh, year and a half ago. And learned very quickly it ain't so easy. No. I My sympathy for Dan Carlin has increased dramatically. If you have never uh, listened to a Hardcore History episode, Dan Carlin's, repent and feel very bad about yourself. Cause, go listen to one right after this. Yeah, Dan is a master storyteller. He's, like, amazingly gifted in storytelling. He managed to build hardcore history as a you know it's an independent podcast he does it completely by himself well i don't know there's is there a band is there not a band we don't know but he's the only voice in the microphone and yet he managed to reach an audience that pretty much nobody reaches it's just above and beyond just about anyone in the world in so many ways so it's not just in history like any 
category or however you say the word in the I English like that language. One. Category, but category. I mean, I mean, close that. enough. Yes, and that is awesome. So what I've figured out at some point was, look, I teach history. That's yeah, what I do for, for living. I teach in college all this stuff, and I do podcasting. And I like what Dan Carlin is doing. Let me let me put those twos together. What did they add up to? Oh shit! I should do the same thing. And you've been blessed. And in some way, yeah, that was the cool part because um, I remember when I was thinking of doing it. I was in advanced thinking stage. I was already working, and I I called Dan, and I was like, "Hey, man." I'm kind of doing this thing that sort of step on your toes because I'm doing the same stuff. But but I wanted to be... I didn't want him to one day, you know, open iTunes and be like, ha, look at that motherfucker. He's doing... I wanted to be straight with him. And he was. He just laughed at me. He's like, what are you asking me? You know, are you asking me permission? He's like, no one else, because I do a history podcast, no one else can. Come on, of course, you know, that's great. Do it. That's... And, you know, we talk about maybe I'll give him advance notice of topics I'm planning to cover so we don't spend three months doing research only to find out that the other one is releasing an episode on the exact same topic. And on that, it was funny. Then not so long ago, after laughing at me and going, ah, who cares, it's fine. Like, he emailed me not so long ago for his next hardcore history coming up. And he was like, I'm kind of touching on something that you're planning to do. It's not the whole episode I'm doing on the part that you are discussing but I'll give it a good 20 minutes on the same topic. And I'm like, ah, 20 minutes is, you know, we're cool. It's great. It's, but it was pretty funny. So I'm, I'm beholden to secret upon, you know, my head will be chopped off if I reveal it. So I can't say what the topic was because Dan is very, tends to keep it under wraps until it is released. But oh, it's um, worth the wait. It's worth the wait. Yeah. But moral of the story was great to get um, Dan's blessing on this. Again, I felt a little Godfather style, but still I felt uh, really good that, and, and Dan was super nice. He was like, you know, man, I don't really listen to a whole lot of podcasts because I don't really have the time. I need to spend so much time doing the research. But if you're going to do that with your take on history, I want to hear it. You know, this sounds like cool stuff. So I felt very... I was, la, 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 Dan Carlin likes me. Yay. Hell yeah. You know? <laughs> so that was a good happy moment. But I've been working like a dog on this stuff. Uh, now, obviously, I teach a zillion classes in college, running, you know, together with Rich the Drunken Taoist, uh, taking, you know, there are 7,000 things I'm doing. So obviously it wasn't a full-time gig, but it was for the last year and a half. I was, every time I had some spare time, I would try to dedicate it to putting this together. The process gave me undying sympathy for Dan Carlin approach because the research is beyond brutal. Is uh, it's insane? You know, the average episode. If you if you read little, if we're talking about you know little stuff, you're probably reading about seven eight books, about three four hundred pages each. So that adds up quick. That's I, like, I'm guessing they're not the most epic, exciting books either. Like, there's probably a couple of them that are just a bit dry. Yeah, and you know, you're going to run into some great passages buried in the middle of a bunch of crap. and then So you need to read monstrous amount of work, anywhere from two to 5,000 pages on average per episode. In some cases, many more. I was working on an episode about the Little Big Horn. I probably read a good 12,000 pages worth of stuff on that. It's It's insane. But so what happens is the process is so tedious and long because what you do is you research a topic, you read about 10, 12 books, whatever that may be, take down all the notes, 
then go through all the notes from all these different books, put them together in a way that makes sense, then you add your own flavor to it, you modify it, you by the time you're done it you pretty much have written a book it's the equivalent of having except that in this case because i don't have dan's reputation of course because i haven't done it yet i'll uh, i cannot afford to do what dan is doing now if you go back to the early days of hardcore history he was releasing episodes fairly often he had a whole bunch because he had to build up an audience so I have to do the same thing. Well, they were shorter back then. Too. They were a lot shorter, but also, and that's the advantage in that case, there was nobody doing that. You know, he was a pioneer, so there was no benchmark to measure it against it. Now, if somebody is going to download my podcast as soon as it's out, in the back of everybody's mind, there's hardcore history. That's the model for it all. So it's like you cannot do a podcast the way Dan did it at the beginning. And at the same time, you cannot release three episodes a year and hope to build a following. That's why I had to do an insane amount of pre-working on this stuff in order to release episodes regularly for at least the first year and then hopefully earn myself the right to release a little less. So the first year is going to be 10 episodes. I did the research for eight, so I'm almost there. Considering we haven't even released one, that's not so bad. Maybe we'll see the second year, maybe drop down to eight, which is maybe a little more manageable, but, you know, we'll see. But I've gotten myself through a good... While I was in Italy, um, I had a chance to record the first episode. So that was a blast. That I had a really good time with. Is this a naked recording we're talking about? Yeah, that was the naked recording. So this is the... Con- check out the conditions, you know, I'll give you guys some background. Italy this year was hot like hell. One of the hottest years in recent memory. They say 2003 was pretty damn bad. This is 12 years later. This is the next one up. Brutally hot. Mosquitoes everywhere. It fucking sucks. My vacation was beyond crap. Wasn't a vacation. You know, I didn't really get to travel much of anywhere. I was dying of heat, eaten alive by mosquitoes. It sucked. But at one point it was so bad that I had uh, three, four days uh, by myself with Savannah without my daughter because she was with my dad. So I like, eh, you know, we're dino heat anyway. Let's play a little. Let's see what. So I decided, why don't we record the first episode? Let's knock that one out. Let's get it done. The setting for the recording, when you'll get to hear it, you can get a visual for it all, is we're both in our underwear at night in Milan. It's we have to close all the windows turn off the fan air conditioning i don't even know what it is i don't know that there are too many (laughs) people in italy do have it i certainly don't so there's no such thing start getting brutally hot which is why we're in our underwear dripping sweat from everywhere and i'm embracing one of the yeti mics that we are also using to record a drunken taoist and it's freaking large. I'm having a blast, actually. We do, like, maybe record for 40 minutes or so, take a break, record again the next night, and over a period of yeah, three, four nights, got, got the whole thing done. I actually had a great time doing it. If it was a little less uncomfortable, it would have been horrible. It was so uncomfortable that it was actually funny. It was an adventure at that point. point. Yeah, so it's... Uh, but I had a good time. I learned a lot in the process. I'm sure I'm going to be... A... It was funny, too, because my whole plan was to cover the first episode. Well, I'm going to give that away for now. But the first episode is about the the slave wars in ancient Rome. 
there were three major slave wars in ancient Rome that um, the last one was Spartacus Rebellion, the most famous of all. First two are not as well known, but they were pretty badass as well. I'm now, we keep going after a few nights of recording, I'm halfway through, two wars knocked down, the biggest one, Spartacus, is yet to come, and I look down at the clock, and we are clocking at almost two hours. I'm like, I think this episode just became two episodes. So it's like, okay, the first two slave wars will be episode one, Spartacus will be episode two. And we'll roll it like that. So it's uh, it wasn't planned initially, but it was a, I'm not doing a four-hour podcast right off the bat. That Did just, Kurt Douglas come by? You uh, will in episode two, because I'm going to discuss not only Spartacus itself, but kind of the cultural phenomenon beside the history, you know, the movies, the Spartacus reinvented in popular culture and all of that. So had a blast. I recorded also an episode zero, which is just a 15-minute intro about what to expect about the whole thing. So for people who don't want to listen on episode one to a long-winded intro for 10-15 minutes giving an idea of how often we release episodes or what's the philosophy behind it and all of it, they can just jump straight in episode one. Episode zero provides a little bit of context. So for people who want to check it out, they check it out. People who don't, I'll probably release them on the same day. That way is, uh, episode zero is the intro and if you don't want to hear it, you just jump straight into the episode one and that's it. Excellent. But that's that's the plan. By the way, let's play for fun's sake. This gives you the idea of the conditions in which I was recording. Let's play a mic check. You know, when you get do mic check, you only want to say mic check, 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 check so many times. And, you know, every time you record, you have to do it. So sometimes you get a little, on the spur of the moment, you get a little creative with your mic checks. So here is one of the mic checks from uh, he, uh, from the podcast that we are recording. Um, here is an outtake for you. God damn, I gave her only five orgasms. <laughs> God damn, I am such a shit. <laughs> Give me ten orgasms or pack up and go home. You lazy Italian, you just suck. <laughs> and that is that. Ladies and gentlemen, any reference to actual events is purely coincidental. And uh, any, well, I, I think I'm inspired with a, a short historical story. <laughs> Do tell. The astronauts were training to go to the moon, so they took them out to New Mexico so they could be in these rocky sort of surroundings and get a feel for what the, the, the lunar surface might be uh-huh. like. And a few days in, they stumble across this old Indian gentleman who's like, what the hell are you guys doing out here? And they tell him, well, we're going to go to the moon. And he's like, really? You know, many of our favorite spirits live on the moon. Could you take him a message for me? And they're like, well, well, sure. What's the message? And he gives it to him phonetically and makes them say it a few times so they get it right. And they're like, well, what's the message? He's like, well, it's between my people and the spirits. So I just want to keep it a secret. But please, please, would you pass it along? Well, they get back to Cape Canaveral and search for weeks to see, find somebody who knows the language. Right. And finally get the message cracked. And the message is, these guys, <laughs> don't trust a word these guys say. They're here to take your land. <laughs> that's it. That's classic Indian humor right there. Yeah. That, I can see an old Indian guy having a blast uh, using that. That's beautiful. I have no idea if it's true, but I like to think it is. I dig it. And um Unfortunately, with the historical podcast, I do have to stick to the truth. So I tend to be very kind of fact-checking everything and mentioning when... 
But uh, yeah, I tend to prefer legend over fact sometimes. Well, just... Isn't it tough and the lines blur? Because you said you read 100 books on Little little Bighorn, right? Oh yeah, man, it's insane well, how the much vis- stuff. The, the, the versions have to be, to the person, slightly yeah. skewed. Little Bighorn in particular, because it's such a big event in U.S. history and it captured imagination. There are books written more or less every survivor as a book written by somebody who met them and took down their testimony. So you have literally hundreds of books written on it. You have the book of the dude who was uh, uh, playing the trumpet for Custer. You have the guy who is like literally every character in the story. There's the story from their point of view. And obviously not all versions click, you know, and, and especially toward the end where a whole one side gets wiped out in the battle. Right it's kind of hard to tell really what happened when it's, it's it's a mess to say the least the more you read it the less clear it gets at the same time it gets cooler it gets you know you get so many stories that you pray that at least half of them are good are right. true because they are just too good is that what doomed the nez purse is that what started everything no, they were, it was a separate deal because this was in like Montana and fighting against the Lakota and Cheyenne. Nespers was out in Oregon and uh, Washington and they just, they had a whole separate gig going on and uh, eventually. But there was they, one, there's some major battle that got that fired up too. That, that they, oh yeah, they, because they ran off and the army chased them all the way through Montana yeah. and uh, caught them right before the border in Canada. Not all of them, some of them sneak through the border, but yeah, that's, that's another one. So for those of you who have been asking, I have no problem telling, I don't know, there must be some Dan Carlin secret that I'm missing out on or why you cannot announce episodes ahead of time and I'm going to regret this forever and ever. But right now, just to mention the the episodes that I do have in store we have uh, so um, Slave Wars Part 1 Part 2 which is Spartacus in no particular order after that I haven't picked out which one is gonna come well, up well just give two in case there is a reason a couple okay okay well I guess we gave away a Little Bighorn so Little Bighorn is actually a three part series because I have the Battle of the Little Bighorn related but not exactly the same the biography of uh, Lakota leader Crazy Horse his whole life story and I'll do a tiny one where... Because one of the things I plan to do is I cannot possibly do epic two, three-hour episode every six weeks. It's too much. So what I do is I'll mix big, huge episodes with sometime a few shorter ones. So I guess the part three of that, I'll have a really short one, probably half an hour or something, on a discussion of the legacy of the battle in terms of the struggle for the Black Hills between the U.S. government and the Lakota tribes the whole story of what happened with Mount Rushmore, the story of what happened with the legal battle that continued to the 1980s, what happened in Congress after that. So that's just more of a postscript to the previous two episodes, and I'll make an episode out of that to buy myself an extra six weeks to do research and prepare the next one. I figure it's better to do that than to try to do all that in five minutes at the end of a big episode and then make people wait three months. You know, i rather give something in between a, li- a little morsel until the next big epic one so that's that's the gig right there other things let's see other stuff i want to tell you what do i want to tell you what do i want to tell oh check that out this is what happened to me the other day i opened the door to my house i walk out of the gate and right out of my fence i see a rat not a cute little thingy mouse from the country. No, a rat. Nasty. Rat. L.A. city rat out yeah. vacationing. 
and it's clearly a deranged rat. It's gone crazy. There's just no argument. He's trying to possibly run away, not really all that hard, but he's going in circle, just spinning in circle over and over and over and over, and I'm like, the fuck? And it's totally hypnotic. I cannot get away from it. I'm like, <laughs> I want to go back in my house, but I cannot stop in looking at what is this rat doing? What's going on? What's Get the fuck away from my the property, please. Another one your wallet while he was doing that. Right. He just went boom, 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 boom. And he finally flopped over, bellied up, and died. Wow. Right at my feet, pretty much. The death spin. That was how my day began. So I had options in how to take it. I decided that this omen, against all possible logic, I would take it as, this is going to be an awesome day. Because clearly when a dead rat goes in circle and then goes belly up and die in front of you, it's obviously a sign that it's going to be an awesome day. So I decided <laughs> to take it that way. But yeah, what the hell are the odds? That was how my day started. Sunday just get joy. lucky. Right place at the right time. Yeah, man. What the hell? So that was that. Uh, history, anything else that we throw out there? Well, obviously, for you guys, I'll, um, this is what, mid-August that we're getting this out. Yep. So the plan is, okay, I can hear the voices saying, when, motherfucker, you know, you said it forever. When is this happening? Well, the plan that's probably not going to happen is that my goal still as of right now, which we're recording on August 10 or something, okay. is to maybe later, August, what day is today? August 11, as a matter of fact. The plan as of right now is September 1st. I've done my part. You know, the episode is recorded. I'm attaching an intro and outro. I'm doing all the stuff. Um, you you guys will get a kick out of the music. I'm actually getting a license to use it because it's too cool and I cannot pass on it. So there will be... All of that is done, but I need to have everything else set up. I need to have the website and the connection with iTunes and Stitcher and uh, PodTrack to keep track of the numbers. And, you know, there are 3,000 things to do and very little time left. Out of my hands, this is the heroic Emmanuel Carnevale. will try to take care of it during his vacation in shitty, super heat, uh, August Italy. So Maybe cool down a little bit. For yeah, uh, September 1st is the goal. Emmanuel, you can do it, please. But, you know, the reality is hopefully realistically at some point in September. So please check out your, you know, Alp. Post, I'll put this on Twitter repeatedly. I'll put it on my public face on Facebook, which if you have never checked it out yet, feel very ashamed and please go check it out. I will make sure to let everybody know multiple times when this happens. Uh, you can check out on iTunes under my name. It will show up at some point under its super secret title yet. So it will, um, you know, check it out. Keep your eyes open. Tell your friends, subscribe. After a year and a half to two years, whatever much as long that I work on it, I would seriously love to see some love from it. So don't even listen. I don't need to know. Just download it and make me happy. I just <laughs> need to see the numbers and go like, oh, people are actually listening. This was sweet. That would reinforce my ego and make me feel better about life. So... If you don't want me to end up like the rat going in circle and belly up, I would seriously appreciate it if you can push other people toward uh, this historical podcast. Should be fun. If you can tolerate my accent now, the stories are badass, so I think you would dig it. And um, 
that's the game man so please 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 check it out it's coming up soon matter of weeks um anything else we want to tell any possible question that people may have that we should address other than where was the rant that didn't sound like a rant that sounded like an advertisement it kind of i mean it's you know i love advertisement well the reality is that our rant episodes originally they may have been rants they stopped being rants they are kind of like they're not a dream they're not isabella they are not a story no, let's call it a our, rant it's our it's topic a, du jour. exactly it's more of a sometime is a rant sometime is not so there's nothing guaranteed about this one. Well, they got liquored up by Liddy earlier, so we didn't have any chance to be that angry. Yeah, exactly. Life is good. Anything else we need to throw out there? No. I'd recommend everybody listens. I think they're quite swell. Let's roll with that then. Been adventures there, swatting mosquitoes, eating good tomatoes. Man, mosquitoes everywhere. Fucking Italy sucks. Now is this is this climate change or is this just I don't a know, hot, man. shitty summer in Italy? My brain has melted through my ears, and I no longer have brain cells, so I don't know, and I have no opinion. There you go. But I can still recount a few events. Um, this was an interesting uh, ego checking moment with Isabella. Where um, we're talking, we're in the car, we're talking about books, and I tell her, you know, that I kind of wanted to show off, so I'm like, you know, I wrote four books because, in case you're wondering, there's a fourth one coming out at the, in December. And she looked at me and she goes, Only four? And you call yourself a man? She totally read what I was doing. She totally saw my attempt at pumping my ego, and she just they learn shut early me down. Cut us down, don't they? It's amazing Only how four? talented they are. You call yourself a man? Really? Brilliant. That was great. And then she <laughs> laughed, all happy, all proud of herself. So yeah, that was great. Your day will come. Yeah, no, that was absolutely. That was some genius in that. There was on the other end a sweeter. One day, it was both sweet and hilarious because there was just a little bit of uh, self-consciousness there. Or or maybe not. Maybe it's the exact opposite. You'll be the judge. But Isabella was being nice to me and kind of like thanking me for doing, being nice to her doing this. And at one point she goes, you make me feel as special as I am, which... I thought it was kind of hilarious. Yeah, that's, like, just, that's You make genius, me feel special, that's nice. No, you make me feel as special as I am. You know, it's like there was just the right amount there, yeah, Daddy. I just, appreciate that. Just what I deserve. A lot of folks you know? sort of shoot a little low. Yeah. And they really should work harder at it. But it's you... Like, you got it. You got it pretty damn close. Just uh, so, that so, was, so in the future, kick it up a little bit. Yeah, that was glorious. That was absolutely glorious. <sighs> and equally glorious, there was a very interesting theological argument she had before kindergarten ended at the end of last year. So apparently one of her friends had been trying to tell her over and over that God is good. And Isabella was a little puzzled by that because she said basically, you know, you keep telling me that God is good. But every time you talk about God, you say how he would punish you in terrible ways if you do this or that. So how is he good? You know, I don't get it. 
give me an example of him being good and not just punishing people. And Isabella's friends was a bit stuck at that point. I would say. No example of divine goodness were forthcoming. And so that kind of put an end to the discussion right then and there. But Is was pissed. She was actually angry. She was like, you know, I think she was trying to make me think like her. And that's not very nice. If you're like a, if you're a friend and you like them, it means that you like them for who they are. So you shouldn't want to change them. Just appreciate what makes them special. Trying to change me was not nice at all. I was like, hey, you got no argument from me and there. No argument. Uh, Our friend Mike V would tell you, you know, you either the punks like you and will accept you as you are, or they're not your friends at all. Exactly. So I was That's like... That's nice for her to know already. I know. I was like, knock down the whole... And again, she wasn't like, oh, no, screw you, you're God thing. He was just like, okay, show me. You know, you're saying it's good. Show me the good. And, okay, you're not showing me. The end of discussion. I'd pay a nickel to go home with that little girl and see what her parents had to say when she dropped that on them. Yeah, I'm sure that went well. And, uh, wait, who said that to you? It's like, Isabella. I'm like, fucking demon-worshipping bastards. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and... um and then, you know, we had the discussion kind of to keep it open again because I don't want her to get too riled up on these things about how different people have different ideas regarding what God is. And we sort of discuss all the various possibilities from Krishna to Guan Yin to uh, some version she liked, some more version not so much. But our discussion of this old religious uh, incident uh, ended when she said, if Conan the Barbarian was a god, he would be my god. And I was like, I've done my I've done my parental work well, you know. I you can, can be, take it easy now. I can be proud and happy with what I've done here. It's just so funny when you get to thinking about it that at some point not too long ago, just south of here, they were lopping off heads and pulling out hearts all in the name of God. Oh, yeah, of course. No, that's why it's like, to me, there are so many words that don't, the mean everything and nothing is like to me when somebody say the word God, I don't know what you're saying because the point is there are so, I don't mean just so many different gods, but so many different things that people mean by God, you know, a kind of energy at the roots of the universe that can be almost a scientific concept. Uh, it can be this kind of old man in the sky. It can be there. So to me, people sometimes argue about these words where really the argument begin and end with the fact that they are using the same word to mean radically different things. So it's a conversation between deaf people who are not really in each other out because they don't really find out how they use those words. Oh, and they don't want to hear each other anyway. Probably, but also it's made worse by the fact that, you know, you think you are using, that you have a common vocabulary and you really don't. Uh, there are so many of these things that regularly pop out where I see somebody just rail on this issue one way and I kind of agree with them and I see the person arguing the exact opposite and I agree with them and it's just because they use the same word in different fashion, you know. It's, so they are really, they think they are talking about the same thing and they are not. But in any case, if if Conan the Barbarian was a god, he would be my god. That makes you indoctrination free. That's where it's at. I have a dream today. And now we cross the Ethereum plane for a visit into Bellelli's dream time. Dream time, dream. You could dream of the blue turtles. 
Let's see. What do we got this time? This was a dream that I had shortly after the whole uh, Supreme Court uh, gay marriage legalized thing. And it's a dream about one man known as Antonin Scalia. One of the... I thought that was going to go way different for a second there. Well, uh, you were hoping, I thought you'd, but... felt you'd set yourself free. Yeah, not quite. No, I haven't no, come out I yet. I see where this is coming. Okay. Um, um, this is about Antonin Scalia, one of the weirdest men ever to occupy the Supreme Court. And there are a lot of weird men on the Supreme Court in its history, so it's quite a talent to be able to claim that. But yeah, basically what I meant, if you guys don't know Antonin Scalia, well, do some homework and find out, because he's pretty hilarious in a scary Torquemada kind of way. He'd be scary if he just knew he existed, but the fact that he's a Supreme Court justice oh, yeah. really takes it up about 50 notches of terror. He's a guy like, for example, in 2003, when they were trying to strike down the sodomy laws, the ones that are about consensual sex, whether homosexual or heterosexual, that yep. there are certain acts that are illegal in certain, uh, in some states. Scalia was, you know, most of the Supreme Court said, of course, that's a backward law that we need to get rid of. Scalia was absolutely one of the dissenting votes, like, no, oral sex should be legal if the states decide so, and uh, anal sex should be legal, and it's like, wow, 2003, by the way. In any case, good entering Scalia, in my dream was being tied to a chair, clockwork orange style, where they would just penis eyes open, tied to the chair and have him watch 72 straight hours of gay porn featuring Conor Abib, which I'm sure Conor I was with Conor once said on Duncan's podcast, I did a podcast with him, Conor is a funny guy because he's um, uh, super smart, really brilliant, good writer and gay porn star, all wrapped into one, and it's hilarious because he's uh, like, you see his Twitter feed is like this really really brilliant ideas and the next one is him doing some guy in the most explicit way possible and why it's pretty funny in any case so yeah connor was doing this uh for the benefit of anthony scalia a 72 hour marathon of gay porn for and you know the doubt there is that scalia may have not needed a size pinned after all maybe he's not so post to it like most people were viciously anti-gay have a closet full of pink yeah, feathered boas you wonder a little bit about what's going on there but in any those case those are always the best stories so so that was a good dream but um, i woke up thinking i don't even know exactly what the hell i woke up thinking i, was, I just went like really antonin scalia clockwork orange style conor abib gay porn wow i woke up a couple mornings ago and realized everybody was up and down, all sorts of pissed off about this lion getting shot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which I looked at as, yeah, that kind of sucks. Yeah. That lion probably didn't need to be shot, and that dentist is an asshole. But why are people so excited about the lion and didn't notice a couple of dozen dead six-year-olds shot apart in their school? They didn't seem to be too bothered by that. The Sandy Hook thing just... Went right on past, you know? It's like, oh, we got to do something, we don't do anything. But this lion seems to have the world up in front Well, that's right because now. it's right now. In two weeks, by the time this episode no, airs, no, no, it's not going to be nuts. There are short attention span. The, ta- the gap between outrage and action is usually too long for the attention span. And so it's like, unless something happened today, and nothing happens today in reaction to something, that goes away usually. So it's, um, that's, that's the game. It's a sad tale. I have a dream. 
that people actually do something about fucked up things and try to make it a little better for a few folks. I still, as as uh, as inclined as I am to appreciate such dream, if it's a choice between that and Anthony Scalia having to watch into 72 hours of gay porn is a tough choice. Well, that one might actually create something too, so. Yeah, you never know. That's the end of that! It's story time again, brought to you by your friends at Sure Design T-shirts that like to remind the world their designs are awesome, but happy nipples make for a happy planet. Hey, Bennett, how's it going? You're going to like this one. We got two tiny ancient Roman stories. How much are they historical or purely legend is up to speculation because nobody knows, but they are classic. You know, in Italy especially, you hear these things since you're six years old in school and then again in junior high and again in high school and again forever and ever and ever. Uh, These are bizarre stories worth bringing up. So very early on in Roman history, when supposedly they had kings, nobody again is totally sure whether all of those things really happened or not. In any case, one of the ro- early Roman kings, a guy by the name of Tullius Hostilius, decided that they were beginning to, his people were beginning to lose their martial edge, that they were getting a little too mellow under the previous king. So he's like, eh, we need to start a war of some kind, you know, because otherwise we, we're going to soften up too much. So he picked on this other town named Alba Longa over like some minor issue just to start a good war. The Alban king said, look, okay, we can fight, but uh, the Etruscans out there are just waiting for us to just kick each other's ass and then they are going to come in and mop up the survivors. So how about we don't? How about we don't fight a war with each other? But I understand you got your, you know, testosterone and we need some blood. So I get that. Let's just not have too much blood because otherwise we weaken our cities. So why don't we do this? Let's just have a single fight. Just a few guys. You know, I hear that... uh, uh, I hear this thing that among you guys, there's this family, the Oriazzi. They are... uh, There's three brothers... And here we got this guy, the Curiazzi, which, nicely enough, they rhyme together. Hell and yeah, they, it's gonna make and a they hell also of a have poster. three brothers. So, nice. Oriazzi against Curiazzi. Saviton, three on three fight. So, here they go and uh, pull out the swords. Everybody come to watch the good fight. Three on three deal to decide the war, how it's going to play out. And two of the Roman Oriazzi are killed right away. So now we have a three-on-one deal, and the third one of the Oriazzi decides to just flee. He ran up a hill while the other guys are chasing him. It's like watching that Mayweather-Pacquiao fight. <laughs> Except that, beside running, the good uh, man from the Oriazzi family, as the Oriazzi are chasing him, he turns around all of a sudden and stabs one of them. Oh. So now we're down back to two-to-one, and uh, defeats the second in a duel. And the third one had been wounded earlier in the fight with the other one, so he just finished him off. So, you know, while he as he did lose his two brothers, he managed to get rid of all three of the opponents and um, take the day. I love the notion of wars being small-scale deals, where it's like, okay, we'll send you our champion, you send your champion, and if you win, I'll give you that piece of land, and if you win, you give us this... 
you know. No, you offered that up a little long time ago. Where if only we could have, Mr. Cheney, Mr. Bush, yeah, uh, step on out there, Saddam. Yeah, B- fuck, I would watch a pay per view Bush oh, against Saddam yes. with swords any day of the week. How cool would that be? It's for like, all the mar- for all the yeah. oil in Iraq, Saddam gets an axe, Bush gets a sword, and then somebody's like, "Go!" Right. Uh, that would be awesome. Yeah, I dig. I dig that. I think there's a lot of people that got hurt that would dig that too. Yeah. So yeah, I would. Con- I think the overall benefit for mankind would be awesome. So I miss the day of the Oriazzi and Curiazzi. Is there like a historical location? Is there a hill in Italy you can go to, and this is where they fought? Uh, you it- know what? I don't know if they. I mean, it's all right there. It's right outside of Rome. Alba is right right next to Rome, so it's all. But I don't remember if they have a place where they tied to at least the legend or not yeah. I'm not entirely sure I wouldn't be surprised there would be because there always is the damn place that's tied to now Roman story number two that happened shortly thereafter this supposedly according to the at this time the um, these um, I, th- I believe they are the Etruscans are laying siege to Rome and uh, they are under this um, king by the name of Porsenna and they are giving Rome a really hard time. You know, Rome is really just on its heels, just relying on the solidity of its walls to defend itself. But, you know, they are surrounded, basically. So this one guy by the name of Muzio Scevola, and again, by the way, the way I pronounce it is sort of Italian pronunciation. The Latin, there are three gazillion ways to do it. Mutius Scevola, Mutius Scevola, Mutius Scevola. Nobody freaking knows, you know. There's a lot of guesswork about this. In any case, I'll give you the Italian version. Muzio Scevola decided, okay, we're in this bad war. The Etruscans are surrounding us. He's a good Roman man. So he decided, I'm going to just sneak... I'm just gonna get out of the walls during the night. I'm gonna try to sneak into the into the Etruscan camp, and I'm gonna try to kill their king. Um, you know, just stick a knife in him and be down. Let's see if that changes things. Good plan. He got caught, and before uh, or after before the king. Oh. he hasn't killed the king. They capture him, and uh, the king just faces him down. And he's like this wannabe assassin, and he's like, burn him alive, you know. A special burning episode. And not, well, yes, but not quite, because Mozio Shevola said, You want to burn me alive? And he's right there, and as they are, like, he just stick his hand out and put it on a flame that was right, there was a little fire next to them while they were having the conversation, and just leaves his hand out there, getting burned without flinching, just looking at him. And he says, uh, I'm just one of many who are going to keep trying to kill you until we succeed. And Porcet at that point, he looked in the eyes of this dude, getting his hands burned by himself. You know, he's burning his own hand just to make a point of like, you think you are going to burn me? There is nothing you can do to me that I can take kind of thing. Porcet look at him and say, okay, fuck it. These guys are crazy. You know, he's like, I'm a little unnerved with the notion of being the target of this fearless, death-loving Roman patriot assassin. So... You know what? Second thoughts. Let's make peace. You know, let's be done with it and forget this because this idea. So no, Mozio Chevrolet does not get burned to that. Well, he probably loses his hand, but other than that, the rest of his body stays in one piece, not barbecued, and the war comes to an end as a result of his insanity, bravery. Who knows? You know, you take take a guess on how you would consider it. Well, there you go. Peace at last. Yeah, peace through either. 
three-on-three brotherly fights or set your own hand on fire and look at them without flinching. And or... make the guy piss himself and it's over. Yeah, it's uh, peace through, not exactly the Gandhian way, but still, it's, <laughs> it still works. Well, there you have it, folks. Story time. Go and spread the peace. All right, it's that time to reach deep into the digital mirror bag and see what sort of awesome queries and questions you guys have sent for us. I'm sure there's something nutty in there. What you got? We got Ross. Ross tells us. Uh, basically, he asks a series of questions regarding the tension between, on one hand, wanting to say fuck it all and just kind of create your own little happy islands with the few people in your life and just take care of that and sort of forget about the rest of the world. And on the other hand, instead, the desire to reach out and have a wider impact and trying to kind of, quote unquote, you know, change the world in a better way and all of that. It's a shame he didn't come to the, the Bernie Sanders rally with me yesterday. <laughs> he was kind of up on camper. time. It was crazy, man. They filled the L.A. sports arena with nothing more than emails. Jesus, that is a lot. It is. A, it, it really, I mean. Yeah, I mean, it, when it comes to more grassroots campaign, that's definitely the one that is the most grassroots, whether Republican or Democrat, you yeah. know, it's like, but it's, it's trippy. I'm curious to see where it adds. But yeah, this is a tricky theme, you know, because it's kind of like, both make sense. You know what I mean? It's like, there's a lot of times when trying to change uh, the big systems feel you feel like crap because you feel powerless because you feel like you are an ant trying to go against a tank you know it's a it's a big job and in many cases you feel like it's frustrating and you're throwing a bunch of energy out and you know if when you consider how much energy it has taken to change certain things historically even in the successful cases sure it makes you feel like jesus that takes a luck a few thousands people put in a monstrous amount of energy uh, you know, so many things have to click right that you feel like, what's the point? You know, screw it all. If I can make my kids happy, if I can just be in my own little happy world and screw the rest of the world goes to hell, oh well. That's the easy choice, though. At the same time, the two are not necessarily mutually exclusive, mm. you know, because the point is, of course, taking care of yourself, your loved ones, your family comes first. And that's also what you have more power on, is you know, affect people close to you. That's what you, you know, where what you do and what you say will carry a much greater impact than what you do or what you say on a global scale. Obviously, you have a much bigger degree of agency, you have more power in a small context than in a big one. So working on that is completely legitimate, it's needed, it's primary. At the same time, the beauty of the world today is that this is not an old-time world where you, you, to put your ideas out there, you have to work like a dog and make these crazy things happen. Trying to fight the king and the pope. Yeah, exactly. With to, no communication. Precisely. Today, it's a different gig. You can be up in the mountain in your happy thing among the trees with your family and your dogs, and suddenly, but you can do through... Uh, social media you can do through youtube you can go through podcasting you can go through writing you can go there are a bunch of venues where what you do in one tiny little angle of the globe can be heard and felt at a much greater distance 
Hell, even in just forget on a big level, just in terms of uh, a greater range of people as opposed to purely your family, even if you're talking about extended group of friends and family, the fact that communication-wise you can do it today. You can reach out and write something that goes to everybody on your list or do some... That's That to me is in some ways a way in which technology is working in a good way for us. You know, there are many ways in which technology works in shitty ways for us. This is not one of them. This is a great way in which technology is working for us that does allow you to, you can be on top of the mountain in Tibet if you want, and you can send out stuff assuming you catch a wireless, which, well, probably if you're on top of the mountain, who knows, but you can catch a wireless and send out messages to really the entire globe that just uh, uh, build up a mailing list, so to speak, and then really there are no limits to how far it can reach. It is amazing. It is amazing. What's the old quote? It's good to live in interesting times. Yeah. I, they don't get much more interesting than this. No, that's for sure. I, I quote mean. my Sapiens book again. Uh, he tells the great tale of during the you know the stretch of the Dark Ages, mm-hmm. you could pluck somebody out from 850 and drop them off in 1250, yep. and nothing would have changed. They right. would fit they right would, in. Yep. The clothes would be the same. There may be the tiniest differences in names or something, but beyond that... Think about dropping something from 200 years ago to now. You would think you were let in alone 400, like exactly. It is it four, four, yeah, it's just but amazing. Forget even 200. I, drop somebody from 50, 50 years ago to now. Yeah, and you're like, you talk on what? Where's the, you know, and where the fuck the flying cars? Yeah, there's. It, it's a trip. It's an absolute trip. We so, are really in an amazing yeah. acceleration. And this does allow the combination of microcosm and macrocosm at the same time. So yes, you can and should take care of your microcosm, but that doesn't preclude you from having a voice out there. And you dedicate as much or as little time to it as you feel like it. And you decide to, from one second to the next, to say, okay, I've sent enough energy there, I don't feel like it, boom, done. You know, there's nothing that behold you to keep doing that. Well, I think, you know, the way... The way you take care of your children in, the, in in those acts, and those are going to show the world which sort of direction you lean towards anyway. Absolutely. So that's going to be, you know, it may not be the big move or the giant sign on the hill to help everybody out. But if you raise your kids properly to be polite and be willing to help people and be a good citizen, mm-hmm. you are doing your part. Yep. I mean, what do we want? A bunch of mean assholes that own everything while the rest of us suffer? Or do we want to learn to share the pie and have a good time in this existence? Yeah, and you can do, and that's the thing. It's like you can have that impact and uh, take care of your life at the same time. It's not a choice anymore. It's not this or that. It's this and that, which is in good Taoist fashion, tend to be much more to my liking than the either or approach. The and approach is considerably more fascinating. Message number two that we'll play with today, second and last for today, Raghav. Raghav sent us a message about, mainly it's about, you know, like, it would be hard to have an internet connection these days and not be exposed to 7,000 videos of police shooting people in the head. It's like everywhere. Uh, every other thing you turn on is like, oh, look, I was shot by the cops today. And so he's asking about sort of viewpoints regarding the racial tension via the drug war, militarized police force, uh, historical legacy of brutality against non-whites, all of that kind of stuff. And I mean, this is tricky because on one hand, it's not that it's happening more today than it did in the past. 
Well, it just um, happened so incredibly much. I mean, there was just because Ferguson's anniversary mm-hmm. was two days ago, and very close to that for when we let this out. The map of the U.S. of people killed by cops since that oh, it's, time, it's spread over the whole country, and it's way too many. But the thing is, one element is, well, there is an element of increased mis- militarization of the police force. There are, there are several elements that can contribute in that direction, but there is also the simple fact that technology, now you know about it. Yeah. 50 years ago, we never heard about it. Well, that's sort of the the, the cloud of fear they like to keep us in anyway. I mean, think about the Rodney King story. Why was Rodney King a big deal? Because, I mean, how many black dudes resisted arrest and got the shit beaten out of them by the cops? Many, many, many. Gazillion. Why Rodney King was a big deal in 92 with the LA riots? Because he was filmed. Videotape, yep. Because somebody added the videotape, which was already a big technological innovation. Today, everybody has awesome cameras on their phones. So anybody can start recording what's going on. And it's on YouTube the next second, and it can go viral the next minute. So the point being, obviously, there's also a sense of, Jesus, this thing is blowing up, or is it really just a matter of reporting it more? That this was probably the way it was 30 years ago and 40 years ago and 50 years ago, and we just get to hear about it a whole lot more. Before you, you just got the official story was like, this guy resisted, he was clearly going for a gun, and we had, there was a confrontation with the police. And, you know, done. You never hear about it anymore. Now the fact that in many cases you see the videos that don't lie, that tell you, look, because, you know, there are cases that are iffy, like the Ferguson one, for example. It's a he says, he says kind of story, can't fully put it together neatly, can't figure out that something shady went down, but you can't exactly... There are other cases where it's on video, some dude trying to run away, a cop gunning him down and then planting stuff on him, trying to say that there was, and he's right there on video, so there's no ambiguity. That's a little more a case, uh, you know, slam the door, case shut. It's done. There's no argument there. You know, you see in some cases some heavy, shady stuff going down. Well, I gotta be certain, though, that it's also the other side that we don't seem to be answered, that motherfucker needed to be shot you know there's got to be the occasion where there's that as putting well people in danger of you, course is the guy that was on the highland in uh in hollywood mm-hmm. crazy with a rifle in his hand what are you gonna do and that's in fact if we're gonna play devil's advocate which in this case would be the police advocate because there have been so many nasty cases of abuse by the police and, s- and there are multiple levels of why that's the case you know some people well, there are some cops who are just assholes, right? Some cops are just bad people, and they exploit their power for nasty purposes. But not all cops are like that, obviously. It so, couldn't be possible for that to be the case. No, of course not. So you're going to have other cops who are going to get into situations. Why? Because they are scared. Because they are freaked out, because their buddy got shot three months ago on a routine traffic stop and somebody pulled a gun on them and blew their head off or something. So they are extra edgy, extra protective. One of the things they teach you in police school is kind of like protect, protect, you know, there's that element there. So they are they are not walking into a confrontation on an easy day where everything, there's always that paranoia of, Shit can go down any minute now. Every day. And so there's that that you can see. And again, we're not talking about the dude who shoots somebody in the back and then plant a gun on him. No, no that's, that's just That's an asshole. That's just horrible. We're talking about some other cases can be trickier where, you know, this 350-pound dude is just coming at him, has no weapons, the dude is freaked out. It's like, uh, what went down there? You know, in some cases, it's not that simple of a story. 
So you get that, those cases. You get the cases where it's flat out legitimate, where somebody is a crazed criminal out to do nasty stuff, and so the deadly use of force is actually needed. You get cases, so, you know, there's a whole range of it. Now, let's look at the racial aspect of it all, the fact that obviously there are people who get shot by cops of all ethnicities, that's a given. But obviously there's also a disproportion, I mean, just if you go look at jails, there's a disproportional number of people in jails, of people coming from particular ethnic background, blacks, Latinos, and generally everybody who's poor, regardless of color, <coughs> which for the most part happen to be a very high percentage of uh, people from, um, you know, I guess, ethnic minorities, for lack of a better term. Is this a product of racism? Is this a product of uh, yes, no, both? It's, it's bo the answer ultimately is both, because yes, there is obviously an element of racism, but in some cases it's not just the racism of, oh, I hate black people, I'm going to bust black people kind of thing. There's also the the part where I'm not justifying it, but just to understand how it works, how racial profiling works. Well, if based on what you have seen in your own experience, people from a particular ethnic background or a particular religion or a particular age or a particular gender are the ones that commit more crimes, when you see somebody who fit that profile, are you going to pay more attention to them than to somebody else? Of course you are. doesn't matter how many times somebody tells you, no, you shouldn't, you should treat all the same. Of course you're going to treat those people different. That's why it's like there are... Almost with absolute regularity, I see. Anytime you see somebody who's uh, like uh, in a turban looking like, you know, like hardcore. Uh, but that's a funny thing, by the way, that people have no idea about religions or geography, so they'll mix it up. It's like, there's a turban, it must be some fucking Muslim, and it's like some sick dude who has nothing to do with it yeah. or some. Happened in horrible, or, horrible fashion. Yeah, it happens all the time. But, you know, anytime you, if you fly and you see, if you see, you know, a woman in a burqa and some dude. Uh, you see everybody's size, uh, everybody gets nervous around them. And is it because they are all rabidly anti-Muslim? No. Many of them probably may have some very mellow ideas about it, but they are fucking scared because who just bomb a zillion planes? Muslims. Now, do all Muslims do that? Of course not. Do even the majority of Muslims do it? No. But what do you hear? Who has bombed the most planes over the last two decades? Muslims. Who am I sitting next? A Muslim. You start putting two and two and you freak out. And then you smell dynamite. Yeah, that does not help. Is that, does that mean it's good to be racially profiling? No, it sucks. But what I'm saying is not justifying it. I'm just trying to under, you know, show why it happens that way. It's the same thing, you know, if you are, if you have a store and let's say not a, you know, corporate store, it's your own store and you're like sweating it to make sure you pay the bills at the end of the month and you have a problem with shoplifting and who walks into your store, you have five black teenagers. The average store owner, the average non-racist store owner is going to check them like a hawk. Does that make him a racist? Well, it's he may not be racist as in I hate black people, but the fact is he's operating on a level of social prejudice. He's operating on a level of social prejudice that's partially justified on the fact that the statistics back that conclusion. And at the same time, why do the statistics back that conclusion? Is because there's something genetic inside black teenagers that make them steal more than other people? Of course not. But there are social historical reasons why that does happen. 
and then it becomes self-fulfilling prophecy because the more you look at one group that's supposed to commit the more crime the more you're going to catch them. the more of course you catch them more and it becomes even more disproportionate compared to what actually is going on whereas some dude who walks in in a suit and tie you're not going to look at them they get away with it that crime doesn't get reported and doesn't factor in in the statistics so again i'm not trying to i'm pretty sure i'm pissing off everybody right now because it's not an argument that's purely a yeah those fucking people commit the crimes is their fault or you know law and order support the police but at the same time it's not purely uh all cops are evil fuck them they are terrible and uh, you know racial profiling what a racist asshole people do it all the time i don't remember if i told you this story before or not on an episode but i'll throw it out there did i ever mention about my when i was trying to live in long beach my first landlady there no doesn't strike well, so I go, um, I show up for the appointment, and the landlady, first comment she makes is, ah, I'm so glad you're not black. And I was like, what? You know, she catches herself, right? She's like, no, 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 don't get me wrong, I'm not racist or anything. No. It's just that, you know, if you have too many black people in the same neighborhood, it kind of lower the property value. So it's, but I'm not racist, I'm not racist, you know, I, I like black people, black people are good. It's, as long as they uh, stay where they're supposed to be? I wouldn't want one for my son-in-law, oh. but, I, but I like black people, you know, and it, the more she tries to prove how she's not the racist, the worse the, it gets. Yeah, the deeper the hole goes. Now, the whole story gets even funnier with the fact that she's Brazilian and is not, you know, 100% white. She's clearly a mix of some stuff. And there are, I'm sure there are some black ancestors in her own family. So it gets even funnier, right? But in any case, fast forward. So I put it under the file, crazed racist lady. Nice to me, but pretty fucking crazy and sure. racist. And there's one lady in the apartment that she owns who is black. And she's a sweet old lady. Everybody got along with her. She's nice. And She's really old, though, and at one point, a year later, two years later, she dies, and their family comes to kind of clean up the apartment, take her stuff out, and be done, right? So her son comes up, they take all the stuff from the house, her son proceeds to go in the common area, take the laundry, take the dryer, put them on a truck, and run away with them, right? So the next lady, I see my landlady, and the next day, I see my landlady, see, see what I told you? That's black people, you know, that's how they are. And you're like, fuck, you know, because she's obviously going on racist stereotypes. And at the same time, you just had somebody who embodied racist stereotypes to a T, confirm them, reinforce her feelings, which are you going to argue with her? Are you going to say, no, but you know, you should get... It's like, yeah, shit, sorry. You know, that's... Obviously, she's not right, but you can see why. She, so there's a reciprocal relationship between racist assholes and people who embody the worst racial stereotype about their own ethnic group, and they are they are it, which is the reason why other people with the same skin color get treated like shit, because they all think that they behave like you, you are an asshole, whereas that guy just happened to have your same skin color. But it becomes this vicious relationship between the two. You know, it's like one, you look at it more, people behave that way, and then he reinforces it even more, and it's like it's a fucking never-ending nightmare right there. Well, as long as we're having the final episode here. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. <'Cause laughs> did I ever tell you the story? We were flying home. This was a couple years after 9-11. Mm-hmm. Packed plane coming out of San Francisco. Yep. Stewardess sits on. Ding! Would Muhammad Muhammad please ring his service bell? 
plane goes silent. Yeah, I bet. Everybody's looking, right? Nothing. No service bell. Ooh. One empty seat in the back. Would Mohammed Mohammed please ring a service bell? We need to make sure you're checked in properly before we take off on the plane. Silence. Aye. Now people are getting nervous. Just at that moment, Louis Farrakhan's little brother comes around the corner with his bow tie and his hat, and it was like, oh, that Mohammed Mohammed. <laughs> You've never seen a bunch of white people so happy to see a black guy in your whole life. Oh, please have a seat. Oh, that's hilarious. Let's talk about the Nation of Islam the whole way to New York. That's funny. Man. It was the truth, too. And I don't know where that places me, but yeah. of course we were worried. Of you know? course. Yeah, of course. That's, <laughs> that's why it's a trip. That's why it means like there are racists, there are assholes who embody the war stereotypes, and then there are a lot of people in between, quote, at various steps of the game, and some leaning more like the lady who say, I'm not racist, I'm not... No, sorry, you are racist. And some were just, you know, where you understand where it comes from, even though it may not always be justified, but you can see the logic behind it. Of course, and I'm for sure there's many a story about some cracker motherfucker that has done people wrong, Yeah, and plenty of folk that just verify it for acting a fool being an asshole. Yeah. I think it, it definitely works both ways. It's a crazy thing. And what a silly thing to to be against each other. I mean, it, the, the truth of the matter is character is what fucking matters. Yeah. And that's how I'd it like is. to see, I can see through it. I'm sure there's moments when I don't, and that's embarrassing. But sure. that's just the world. Yep. Uh, uh. But overall, I, it was weird riding the train back yesterday. Uh -huh. Because L.A., for like the first time, there were white people on the metro yesterday going to the Bernie Sanders thing oh, because we're cheap and didn't want to pay the $25 right. parking at USC. They give those assholes any money. But coming back out, it was weird because we're obviously the kids that would be normally riding the train now sure. full with all these people. Their body language was really interesting. It was very keep closed, right. keep to your phone, keep your bag closed. Yep. And that kind of made me sad, man. Was, there was no, not going to be any chatting with these kids. They right. didn't. They didn't want to get in any trouble. They didn't want to be messed with. Yeah. And that sucked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, I learned a lot yesterday. The joys of riding the train. That would do it. Yeah. So, yes, on that happy note. We didn't answer nothing. Yeah. But <laughs> we didn't fix that one, I'm afraid, folks. Maybe next week. Funky music means that we are once again at the end of the Drunken Taoist podcast. Number 70 is in the books. There we have it. Made it through another one. All sorts of wackiness in there. Why not? Judges, Romans, Italian vacations seem to be concentrated in one sort of geographical yeah, area. Yeah, that's it's fit. It fits. Indeed. My Italian obsession was on. Quick few things. One. Uh, I finally, after people told me for a while, but I never done it. I had recorded about three years ago an instructional DVD about martial arts stuff, specifically about leg locks, which are my favorite technique. So this instructional DVD is about hour and 40 some minutes long. It's all basically everything I know about leg locks thrown in there. Mostly very little that just fancy stuff most of it is stuff that has worked for me time and time again it's out there as a just downloadable item 
So you can go to this website. It's this company that does it. Take care of it for me. It's called the website is leglocks.vhx.tv. Again, leglocks.vhx.tv. There are some clips on YouTube, so you can check it out, see if it's to your liking. If it is and you want to get it, you can get it from them. Having said that, what else do I want to say? Thank you guys to those of you who use our Amazon link. That's deeply, deeply appreciated. Doesn't cost you an extra cent and it benefits us a whole bunch. So please keep doing that. Uh, T-shirts. We have nothing new, but we have our three T-shirts in stock. So order away if you need anything. Daoist Lecture Series also up there. There's a link in the episode notes if you uh, want to get some. The against um, that is like was seven hours worth of stuff. It's a lot of stuff for under ten bucks, so not such a bad gig. Quick thank you to our affiliate sponsor, Coracao Chocolate and Audible. Uh, if you want audiobooks or any other kind of audio entertainment, Audible got you covered. Check them out through our special offer. You get a free month and we got a kickback, which is sweet. Coracao Chocolate, same story. You want to order healthy chocolates, link it through our affiliate. Uh, thank you to Daisy House. But now, before we try to wrap things up, two things I actually do want to say. One, um, somebody, Brandon, sent me this uh, link to a podcast he recorded. That's um, I'll put it in the episode notes. It's called, in any case, comedylol.com, comedylol.com, slash podcast, slash a lot of things. I'll put it in the episode notes because it's too long to read. But it's basically a story that's not exactly LOL at all. It's actually story of somebody who went through some heavy heroin addiction and kind of seen how he comes out of it all so i could be cool some people can get inspiration not necessarily because they're addicted to heroin but because maybe you know hard times are hard times regardless of what they may be and hearing stories of how people deal with real hard times not some bullshit new agey version of just think positive and we'll all work out it may be interesting to some folks, so I'm going to make sure to put a link in the episode notes about that. And, of course, donations. Now, some of you guys are my heroes. You guys have been awesome. I have, because we haven't recorded a new episode in forever, this is the first post-summer. Our list is uh, lengthier than usual. And one of the things that I noticed was all the people who donated twice because they donate every month and more than a month has gone by and so you have double donors which is always the sweetest thing ever single donors are sweet too but here we go let's fuck up their names Woohoo! let the pottering begin we have robert primos twice chris martin jacques schumacher raghav singh twice and this was one of the questions in today's digital mailbag. Uh, Timothy Micheladze, Desmond Colton, twice. John Hatfield, twice. Manon Van Passion, I'm totally taking a guess here. I'm guessing you're Dutch, but that's what I got. Timothy Hay, John Atterbury, twice. Alexander Kosner, twice. David Peterson, twice. Jonathan Waterloo, twice. Chris Trejbal twice, Maurizio Mezzatesta twice, Aaron McLaughlin twice, and then we have uh, some glorious uh, single donors, single as in donating once, I'm not referring to your dating life, (laughs) 
Terry McLennan, Dominic Clark, Amos Kingfisher, Eric Prudhomme, Gary McClure, Thomas Robinson, Jonathan Bonha- Bonham, I'm guessing, Bonham, and uh, the always elusive female listener and donor in this case, Kelly Bullock. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anything else we need to say? Keep.org. Give, yes. give, give, give. Help, help, help. Make you feel good, good, good. Can you tell that we are hungry and we're tired and we need to go to dinner? Time to go, go, go. Yeah, we need to wrap it up. You guys have an awesome day. See you next time. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. In questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenze di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, eh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> this was great, it's fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and. Uh, uh, your accent, it just. Whatever that movie is you were trying to tell Can me you about translate it? for me, please? I believe the word was Tombstone. Yeah, that one, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just as I was saying, you know, Tomstone. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work.